Hello, and welcome back to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. I am the Black Metal Guy. And I am Hyper Shaman. And uh, summer is a coming in in the uh, beautiful Midwestern United States. And we are here today to talk about Neofolk and industrial and related forms or post-industrial and yeah, the, forms. The, po- the post-industrial sphere mm-hmm. yeah and so in the past uh hyper shaman has come on to do uh specialist brutal death episodes with the death metal guy because or s- slam episodes right because uh <laughs> the the mm-hmm. you know, slam gore right. uh the all the all the the, the stuff with a lot more uh, blood and sex than your average brutal death metal. Right, and uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm allergic to sex, I have to sit those episodes out. Um, and, uh, and so this time, uh, the death metal guy is uh, allergic to uh, droning acoustic guitars and, uh, you know, um, neo-medieval collage production. So... Um, he's sitting this one out. Um, and yeah, these are a couple records that came out a month or two ago. And, uh, it's, it's a review we've been meaning to do for a minute and figured we should do it as kind of a special concentrate our forces into a special episode on this rather than trying to slam these in alongside, uh, alongside other stuff. Uh, so this will be, um, I know there are a lot of our listeners who are into this stuff, and it's something we'd like to cover more of in the future, so let's go. Uh, We've got two for you. We've got Poseidon and Crooked Mouth, and there are sort of different sides of this neo-folk post-industrial ambient spectrum. Leading off with Poseidon, this is uh, the self-titled debut record by the project. It is out on the Italian Brucia Records. Uh, and the most significant thing about this project for Terminus listeners is that this is uh, th- it features the two core songwriters of Spite Extreme Wing, Argento and Azoth, along with Algol of Forgotten Tomb, who re-reviewed on the third episode of Terminus many years <laughs> ago now, um, and also of Hemes. So these are all um, Italian black metal masters, uh, and uh, they recorded this at the peak of Spite Extreme Wing's career. Uh, the four of these tracks... Um, Tracks one through three, and then track six are all from one session in 2006. Uh, Track four was originally recorded as a Spite Extreme Wing track in 2007, and others were laid down around around the same time, 06, 07. So this would have been in the period uh, between Cosmocrator and Ultra. Uh, And this is definitely not metal it is a very different approach uh although you'll hear shades of spite extreme wing throughout um and uh 
and and it's an attempt to make a to make music in a in a radically different way. So this is both of our records today are pretty concept heavy and have carefully written actually interesting press materials that were written by the bands themselves. So let's read Argento's description of this record as a starting place. Poseidon started to take shape in 2006 when Argento and Algol were visiting La Tombe Beach on the southwest side of the island of Elba. Parentheses, that is where Napoleon was imprisoned. Anyway. On that rugged and uncontaminated shore, made of black serpentine stones blending into the dark abyss of the night, near the site of ancient Etruscan tombs, they both shared the ambition of being able to replicate the hypnotic poetry of the sea, mystically uniting sky and earth with its repetitive yet ever-changing flow of music. And just like waves, Poseidon's music moves, wanders, and becomes one with the singing sea. So, this is composed in a different method from a black metal song, right? This is, um, uh, all these tracks were written and recorded uh, in same, all late night, same night sessions. Uh, they wrote riff, they jammed to write riffs and come up with ideas, and then I think used some of those riffs as the center for structured improvisation. So this is improvisatory composition, uh, not just in the sense of, you know, structured improvisation as a method of composition, which means it has much more to do with the way that uh, an industrial band like Coil or Throbbing Gristle would have worked, or, of course, mm -hmm. free jazz bands in the 70s, or psych rock bands. Uh, Krautrock, I think, is a big reference point here. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And yeah, and there is a, a a deliberate shift, and with that method, that more open-ended method, uh, there is a a different kind of mood, right? So, uh, and that, that is this sort of oceanic flowing sound linked to the, not just to the ocean in general, but really specifically to the sort of enveloping warmth of the Mediterranean. Uh, and yeah, so you, you had some interesting thoughts about that in the notes, Hyper Shaman. Specifically about the Mediterranean? Yeah, but yeah, um, and oh. about, you know, the Genoa. Yeah, so, I mean, Genoa, I mean, as as I, I'm just fascinated about various things about most history before... I don't know, before the 8th, 17th, 18th century. So right, before I, I uh, well, yeah, yeah, before, before they started, before the hats started getting silly in a bad way. Right, right. Um, so I was mostly aware, I, I had only actually when uh, reading more about Spite Extreme Wing again for this review, I, uh, hadn't realized that they were from Genoa, which kind of like made a light bulb go off in my head. Like, oh, that's why I've, I've always found a lot of Spite Extreme Wing stuff to sound a bit nautical, a bit oceanic, at least more like a uh, um, sailing rather than sitting on a beach watching the tide come in. But uh, the Gen Genoa is pretty much lodged right between the Mediterranean and the Alps. Uh, 
the region it's in, um, Ligur, uh, I think it's Liguria. Liguria, yeah. Liguria, yeah, is just literally like a strip of land between sea and mountain. And uh, the height of Genoa's power was at the head of the Genoa Republic of Genoa, which was um, like a lot of uh, Greek civilizations, the last Socratic, meaning their their means of power was controlling the the sea. You know, they controlled parts of Spain, parts of North Africa, um, just that whole Western Mediterranean so, sphere. Sort of a, a foil to Venice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that part of Italy, and Italy in general, it's except for the most northern parts, you're never that far from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Genoa has this interesting thing where it is it's very far north in Italy, right? So it's closer to the culture in some ways of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, I don't know, you know, France or the southern Germanic countries. Yeah, because it's... the Occitan or something. Yeah, but, you have the Tuscan areas, mm-hmm. you have the Piedmont north right. of it, which is going to be more, mm-hmm. yeah, closer to that southern France-Occitanian and, sphere. And, and that's always been a part of the, the Spite Extreme Wing sound, but it's also really close to the sea. And, you know, so it, and it's a, you know, poised between the mountains and the sea is an interesting thing about the place, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's both much further north than most of Italy, but also very much tapped into this Mediterranean, this, you know, pan-Mediterranean world. Yeah, uh, it's right in between two extremes in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, the, you know, the dominant mood in Spite Extreme Wing's earlier stuff is, uh, um, you know, it's it, it it has to do with the sky, right? We we talk mm-hmm. on the show about uh, and maybe the mountains, right? So yeah, like we you know we one reason this release is so exciting is this is the first we've really heard from Argento and Azoth, at least in working together in a way that's clearly related to Spite Extreme Wing in quite a long time, uh, and since like two thousand and eight, and uh, yeah. And we talk about Spite Extreme Wing as one of the most important bands bands in black metal because, in a way, they kind of finished building the musical vocabulary of black metal or completed it and also founded what we call solar metal. Uh, They were really the first to do that, and they paved the way for a huge shift in the overall tone and... uh, tone and harmonic bass in black metal that really didn't happen for until 10 years later right from around 2016 Mm. to 18 right where the you know the french bands on antics start coming out or you know cavern and necropole start to be really widely recognized and things like that um and you even start seeing you know what what the show likes to call outlaw rock right kind of pulling on similar things yeah, like Maquahitl and, uh, you know, and, and, and those bands, right, those American bands who are tapped into this this brighter, more um, overtly uh, diurnal, noble sound. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and also, really, on some of the more uh, Western a- aspects of Ultra. But so, hugely influential on black metal and a band that had a way of being ahead of their time while also not being a direct influence on many of the things that picked picked up in their wake. 
um, and, uh, and 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 this again is a record that is very ahead of its time. These are all the interesting thing, right? Is that these are all old tracks, uh, right? They're from exactly the time when those those Spite records were coming out, um, and even then they were sort of doing this. Uh, it was part of that process of reaching the limits of black metal, right? So part there's this and sort of uh, trying to pass beyond them in a deliberate way. So uh, it's a response to this built-in structural limitation of black metal, right? Which is its rhythmic and its rhythmic rigidity and its uh, deliberately rigid minimalist song forms, right? And a rejection of improvisation. Spidey streaming is just riff, 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 riff. Every riff is insanely good. There are not even transitions between the riffs. Everything drops into the next riff. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and, you know, that's not a, it's a limitation, but it's not a weakness, right? That's, it's part of traditional black metal. It's this creative discipline built into the music. You want this feeling of terrible closure and you want this, these stark, clear forms that, uh, were especially important to Spite Extreme Wing, right? Where they wanted, they built riffs that looked like lightning bolts, riffs that looked like Dorian temples, right? This sort of yeah, uh, it's black metal's a very narrow but deep uh, span. You can go really, really far and strange places with the limited tool set in front of you. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that. And yeah. this Poseidon feels like. Uh, opening up, you know, allowing in these more foreign techniques and, and timbres and sounds. Yeah, um, and, you know, like, so, you know, another aspect, so, you know, deliberately restricted choice of rhythms in black metal, right? Well, within those, Spite Extreme Wing were always incredibly good rhythm players, right? They understood oh, yeah. that within those parameters rhythmic play and articulation were part of what made something really heavy, right? Uh, but I guess by this time, right, they were starting to sense possibilities beyond those parameters. And so this is something, this move towards more open-ended song structures, different kinds of rhythms, uh, and more room for improvisation and stuff is something we are only just starting to hear with newer bands in the last few years, right? And so once again, the the, the Poseidon guys, <laughs> and 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 also you know Al Gol were uh, working on this uh, like 15 years ago, right? They they were trying to do this um, in a way that had something to do with black metal, but obviously wasn't black metal. Uh, anyway, yeah, and so brief, I guess, let's move towards samples, get into the music, but uh, any other overall remarks you had about the sound here? Like, how has it moved away from black metal? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is, I, I guess, the more I think about it, equally posted, like a post-industrial thing, but also in a certain way, post-black metal, because you are taking that, the kind of a black metal essence and you're moving away from that traditional tool set um i mean sound sound wise i mean like you said there's a certain 
I, I heard a lot of the like 70s psych, weirdo psych, mm. prog stuff in there. Maybe I'm just primed for that with, you know, my, my upbringing mm-hmm. and other things I've listened to in my life. Uh, but I mean, I even hear. No, that sounds right. Like, to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I even hear smatterings of uh, just not even like weirdo prog, but some regular prog too. I mean, the, a lot of these the the timbre and the synth sound straight out of like 1972 mm-hmm. um i mean i swear that on and you're gonna hate me for saying the name that on a the who record <laughs> uh, on quadrophenia i swear has some of the same exact synths well, um and that that album also even has uh, certain oceanic themes to it yeah. Wasn't wasn't the Quadrophenia movie set by the seaside in? Uh, there, the, yeah, there's so there's that one of the epic one of the up on the beach, right? Yeah, one of one of the pivotal things in like the story of the record is um him returning to Brighton Beach right. where there was a a big fight between the mods and the rockers, and he's trying to like essentially find find like his he's trying life. to get laid. Well, that too. That's yeah. also important. He's trying to find like the girl he loves, and also some remnant of the glory he felt being a part of that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and like basically, like the latter half of the record is very much oceanic. At one, but he, like halfway through the record, he like is essentially going to kill himself, but ends up just like riding his scooter off a cliff into the sea, but jumping oh, right. off. Right. 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 Yeah, so like it's but but that all aside, the the synths are super super period appropriate for like mm. the first half of the seventies. <laughs> yeah, and even and I mean I even wrote in here one thing that I always thought was so cool about Ultra was uh, they very very were deliberately stated like the instruments and equipment used to record this album are vintage from the nineteen seventies. Yeah, so that that's it. If there's one record by Spike Extreme Wing that directly connects to this, it's Ultra because by that Absolutely. point they had much more expansive structures. The music was uh more on the flowing side, uh heavy use of eh, Spike Extreme Wing had always been really interested in a handful of really powerful motifs. But yeah. here they restrict that even more and try to get as much mileage and out of they can. So there's this intense ebbing and flowing continuity to everything, uh, and it's still pretty. Um, it's still pretty sky oriented music, but you can hear that more open, rolling oceanic sound here too. And I think you're right. Yeah, didn't they use like Mellotron and stuff? Yeah, there's a yeah. Mellotron on yeah. this, which so, is that's super yeah. like the the court and the the court of the crimson king yeah. like that's that's a yeah. mellotron that it's i mean it's an amazing instrument it essentially i believe that's the one where it uh the key presses actually play a section of uh magnetic tape so it's a very strange analog sound uh but major like late 60s early 70s cool that was uh like hugely popular instrument it, it shifts the tone from you know they'd always had a quote warm sound but before it was like searing light right uh, yes and you know uh solar spear and this in 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 on this record it's more of an enveloping uh sensuous yes. 
weight. So much so softer and yeah. diffuse. Yeah. So all of that carries into this new record. Let's listen to something off of Ultra just to get you an idea, just to give the listener an idea of what Spite Extreme were doing right around when they were also recording these Poseidon tracks. Mm-hmm. So after that, the song starts, locks back into more up-tempo material, but the entire, you know, we played that long section uh, over three minutes just to give you an idea of how uh, 
how open and flowing and kind of landscape-like the middle of that section is. With, you know, with, uh, with, with you talking about, um, you know, sort of the landscape around Genoa Hypershaman, I kind of, it's, you know, it's almost, you kind of hear a big expanses of waves cresting on a shore that rises in height as the, the track goes on. Yeah, there, there's, man, it, it, it keeps bringing to mind, there's this specific picture of Argento mm-hmm, where he's like, mm-hmm. st- yeah, he's like standing on the yeah, rock, yeah. surrounded by the, by the sea. Yes. In his, in his big ass boots and his, yeah, yeah. his clean haircut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, that's a classic. Yeah, it's, it's his like, uh, it wasn't Columbus from Genoa. Yeah. it's like a Columbus statue, right? Yeah, the, um, like the, so, some some the famous explorer. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, no, he was from Genoa. Although I guess his origins are obscure. But anyway, um, yeah, let's go to a track now that now that people have heard that, right? Uh, I mean, one almost wonders if the Poseidon jams kind of worked as R and D for Ultra, for parts of Ultra uh, like that. You know, uh, yeah, you know, on yeah, like, with like the first the, couple songs, yeah. totally, I can see that because they were on. It's like they were on that ocean shit <laughs> at this time, right? And yeah. you could like you you can really hear it there. So, um, let's go to. Uh, a track off the Poseidon that is very similar and a sample of about the same length and it develops in the same way. It's it's centered on it's the second track on the the record. It's called On the Cave of the Nymphs. It's 12 minutes long and I think by far the most substantial and just you know, it's like the it's the the best track on the record, I think. Yeah, it's the standout. It it's yeah. the it's the statement of purpose yes and there's a five minute track before it called afros that is also good and that sort of builds towards it but this is like the fulfillment of those ideas and it Mm. centers around a riff that would not be out of place on ultra but delivered in a really different way so let's let's and you'll hear that the development is the way it's developed is a lot less like metal and a lot more like uh you know industrial and cosmish music and whatever
That one is slow, but very exciting. Yeah, well, there, there's there is a lot of po- power in the attack on that guitar, mm-hmm. and the the sequence of um, whether he's palm muting or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the the guitar part especially is much more complicated than it lets on, just in the the finesse of like letting it ring out, holding it. Yeah, yeah, it's really pulsed. Um, mm-hmm. And it yeah. and the rhythmic alignment or non-alignment, like the counterpoint with the independent melody on the Mellotron is or whatever organ they're using is yeah uh, I, I don't know which yeah it is mellotron they used a few different ones but you know mm-hmm. yeah uh the way that they cut across and lock in at various points um it's it's pretty cool like those are not um they're equally weighted riffs um, and the pulse in the guitar interacts in a cool way with the pulse in the drums. And we should talk about that. Like listening to it again on headphones, I'm see like how that the drums are even more important to this track than I realized. Oh yeah. And then, so yeah, so he's, he's playing the, the traditional Irish yeah. hand drum, the Bowden. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's Algol. He does some of the guitars, but also a bunch mm-hmm. of hand drums. Right. And, uh, the, it's, it's, I mean, and it's a lot different from your average hand drum in that uh, it uses you don't you you don't really use your hand you use a little beater stick and uh, often you kind of can change the 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 timbre of the the drum itself via like different hand positioning so it's got a, a much richer uh, pulse to it because of that. And the other core pulse thing here is the wave samples, which you can mm-hmm. hear at the very end. The the drums, the waves, and the gulls. You would have, like, the core rhythmic sensibility is coming from the wave samples. And yeah. the drum is working in time with that, like a sort of a heartbeat against the waves. And then you've got this more syncopated, uh, pulsing kind of... Um, intrepid guitar line right the guitar wants to move ahead over the waves um and you know that wonderful sign like expansive sign melody on the keys it's um yeah it's it's, i feel like this is the track where they make the fullest use of the freedom available to them and of the best compositional techniques that you hear in uh I don't know a, a band like Coil or Death in June that work more heavily with samples. Yeah, and it and it has all the best parts of of kind of jammed or improvised mm-hmm. music in that you have all these separate parts doing an interesting thing that mm-hmm. then will at times meet up and connect yes. and then leave and then meet up again. Um, it just makes for very while seemingly simple chill music it's very engaging yes we were talking while it was playing about how high energy this track is yes Uh, like right out of the bat and it's um which is interesting because of the sort of restraint in it but like 
it, it you know think of the energizing feeling of looking at the ocean even if the waves are not you know crashing on the rocks right it's uh, the and, massiveness of it yeah and the feeling called called to the horizon right mm -hmm. called called to adventure um you really get that here there's a a concentration of effort on this track that is difficult to do in uh jam-based music and you get the feeling that it all came together here that they were they were jamming they were pulling the best ideas from the jam and then very deliberately composing them right maybe mm -hmm. writing shit down on a notebook to keep track of it and that is i i feel like that's the the peak of the focus right this is by far the most concentrated work on the record uh and a full record at this level of focus would just be you know astoundingly good um it's um but there's a lot of other interesting stuff on here and also some very good more um you know more targeted use of uh industrial sampling technology so the the sort of industrial collage yeah so let's go speaking of which let's go mm -hmm. to the immediately following track which comes from the same jam <coughs> right uh it, it comes from the same jam and also has something very inspired to it but kind of in a different way so this is yeah. metamorphosis uh and we're gonna play the whole thing because it's a minute and a half long just thinking that's like uh sounds like what any number of the creatures from a Hieronymus Bosch painting those are the noises they'd be making I I love that yeah <laughs> um a tortured creature one of the tortured like, rather than the torturers uh like a, a whimsical medieval horror yeah yeah so there's something comical about it but also something genuinely horrifying about it and I think yeah. you could say the description is just it's abject right there's yeah, something sort of just just like gross 
but it's it's a little goofy, but it's like ugh, ooh, right. makes it's, you crawl a little. There's something pathetic about it. You're hearing, yeah. A, you're hearing a body or a an. <coughs> you're hearing a, a a person being a, a subject being overwhelmed and dissolved, uh, and it's th- it's this feeling. You know, as you pointed out, right? There are very wet wet sounds in the sample. Uh, oh yeah. And it's like uh, a body liquid. It's a body spontaneously liquefying, right? The 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 liquefaction of a uh, of a body and a mind. Um, and you know, this is a very different side of the ocean and a more uh, maybe more um, abstract take on liquid oceanic forces and processes than we get in the last one right which is clearly just seafaring music yeah this one's uh this one's definitely is a very almost purely industrial take on it though with that abstraction yeah and so yeah you had some uh, i'll get into yeah let's get into the industrial peril uh, well yeah we'll, we'll come back to the more abstract stuff what what you came up with some really good industrial parallels in the notes yeah so i mean i know sp- it, coil has already come up and they'll come up again because mm-hmm. it's the, the, the great project um i know coil um has at points used uh, like strange or uncomfortable vocal samples oh. i mean a lot of industrial bands have it's a common thing i think uh the on um, Einstrzande Neubauten's mm-hmm. Halbermensch, uh, they say like Halbermensch and have it like all affected and uh, specifically Death in June's first yeah. album when I, they were still a band of yeah, three burials. Yeah, um, they uh, had the song All Alone in Her Nirvana, which starts out with like wet, wobbly, yeah. quivering. Yeah. Uh, and there was there was one other one I was no no think that's of I... dead on the sample there was like yeah yeah like super just it's that and and I mean industrial music has always uh, reveled in the abject like that uncomfortableness so you know of course they use strange vocal noises that make you kind of squirm yeah. I mean, Coil, uh, just the most, ob- the most, just the the example that Coil uses that stuff all over. Sometimes it has mm-hmm. a strange beauty to it. Sometimes it's just horrifying and perverse. I think the best example that everyone will know is just the um, the tittering laughter slash possibly screams of boys in the anal staircase. Right. Yes. Um. All right. That's just. Well. Um, well, I mean, even even John Balance does stuff. I was I was listening to Horse Rotor Vader today, and mm-hmm. there I don't remember what song it is, but where he starts yelling about fucking the ground, mm. and then he's like he's like make he's like grunting yeah. and like making noises, like he's actually like having sex with the earth. So speaking <laughs> of that, let's let's this brings us back to some of the uh, ideas here. So this is this notion of the liquefaction of a self, um, and there's a and and there's a degradation to it right this isn't like Mm. a a cool transformation um and 
So one thing I'm thinking is how does it tie in the immediately preceding track, right, is uh, um, on the Cave of the Nymphs. Um, and and before that's Aphros, which, you know, maybe invoking Aphrodite or connected. Uh, mm. But And she's a an oceanic goddess, right? She comes to shore on a shell. Uh, and on the Cave of the Nymphs, and she's born in the sea, uh, um, on the Cave of the Nymphs is... Uh, Right there's this suggestion of luring feminine temptation, right, and it evokes mm-hmm. at once many sort of nymph cave, uh, tempting woman, tempting nymph in the heart of the earth on the island dynamics in the Odyssey, right. All at once we've got sort of like sirens, we've got um, uh, Calypso, and we've got especially Circe, um, who is technically mm-hmm. maybe an enchantress, not a nymph, but structurally similar. And what happens on on Cersei's island is, of course, men are tempted with sex uh, and given a drug that turns them into animals. (laughs) Yeah. And Odysseus has to withstand this and reverse it. Uh, But this is a... and, And this all happens on an island as part of this oceanic journey, right? So the encounter with the nymph can be... If one goes in prepared for it, it can be a fortifying contact with, you know, the heart of the world, and one can pass out of it wiser and stronger. If one goes in unprepared, uh, one can simply be sensually debased and unmanned, right? And we hear something like that here. Uh, You were pointing out during the sample that towards the back two-thirds, right, you start to get this repeated, anxious almost infantile repeated like orgasmic sobbing yeah it's like Mm -hmm. a it's like a suffering and pleasure at the same Mm -hmm. time yes and then of course it just escalates and then explodes but in a kind of pathetic way and then all we get is bubbles yep so you know very uncomfortable uh and uh you know, you can almost just imagine, like, a body shivering and shaking and becoming more and more like a Francis Bacon painting until it pops. <laughs> um, the, uh, it's, so, and but this is also part of a broader tradition, uh, stepping back from just the, the, um, uh, from the, the abject sort of, uh, horrifying side of it, it's part of a broader notion of the sea as metamorphic as the sea as defined by its changes uh you can think about odysseus wrestling proteus right um mm-hmm. uh who is you know a sea god who is the root word for protean he's a shapeshifter oh, wait who wrestles proteus no that's uh, that's not no that's not somebody has no to way. there are i we will circle oh um Menelaus. Yeah, that's I. Yes, Menelaus on the shores of. Lincoln. Yeah, with. Yeah, it was Proteus of Egypt, the immortal mm-hmm. old man of the sea. Yes. Sounds the deep in all its depths. Cool. Yeah. So Menelaus on his journey home, right, has to wrestle. Yes. Him. Yeah. So, uh, and. You know, so we get that, and then we get this broader concern with metamorphosis as often a thing that is in some way degrading so that also draws on Ovid or whatever uh, and uh, or 
yeah, I don't know. Basically, what this points to is the, the just the sheer depth of ingrainedness in where 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 the early Norwegian black metal half accidentally tapped into this extremely deep sense of history from mm-hmm. Grieg and Wagner all the way back to the sagas and whatnot. And it was half intentional, half accidental. And and they saw what they were doing half as high art and clearly just half as necrotic dungeon metal. Spite yeah, Extreme like, Wing, oh man, that was that sick. Yeah, you know? Spite Extreme Wing really saw themselves as in dialogue with the entire history of Western art, right? And beyond, like music, art, literature, whatever. And they're drawing on a wealth of a wealth of different strands of this tradition, especially uh, the Mediterranean stuff and you know uh, the the classics. So you you get that here for sure. Um, uh, whether and and the sense of narrative structure is in an Odyssey-like journey, whether it's uh, you know Homer's Odyssey or the modernist Odyssey that we get in Pound's Cantos, right? Which mm-hmm. also are intensely Mediterranean. Um, anyway, let's go to uh, let's go to something a little more um, a little more clear-cut and riffy. So. Uh, this is a remix of a track called The Flying Dutchman that appears as track 8, Roman numeral, on Ultra. Um, uh, we're not going to listen to the original because the differences are... It's it's pretty similar in a lot of ways, and we've already done some extra sampling. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, here it is remixed for this record by Al Gol, and we'll try to point out some of the stuff he's done and some of the other important things about this track. So just use the first two minutes of this.
oh, very, very spooky. And certainly spookier than it is on Ultra. Um, yeah, it's they kind of inverted the atmosphere there. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Def- so you inverted the atmosphere. What do you mean by that? That's interesting. <sighs> well, they took something more solar and made it more nocturnal, mm-hmm. and something that I I always thought that that instrumental sort well that that is the instrumental track on ultra right uh or yes the, yeah, the, yeah one of the ones yeah and just much much more energized much more forward and affirmative where this one is sort of um pulled back and uh, I guess the spookiness in it is it, it kind of it feels almost a little doubtful a little uh, what's a good way to put it flighty furtive Fur- there's yeah, something hey, stealthy hey. about it there's furtive. something thief like there's um yes I, I think there's another kind of narrative thing going on here right here right on the spite extreme wing record it is presented without any <coughs> narrative association, right? The yeah, interest is not in sound. story. It's presented objectively, yes, as a sonic mm. thing. Uh, and that has to do with also its forthright solar energized presentation. Here, this is more, um, there's something a little more... Um, <clears throat> Clandestine, uh, maybe. Yeah, and, and, and more of a mimesis of story. You get like... Like, you get the... It's called the Flying Dutchman, which leads us, you know, it's a ghost ship. So you get the mm-hmm. initial guitar, which is not particularly spooky. That's more like sort of uh, tranquil nautical music. Uh, and then it drops out, and the bass comes in. And that moment is really highlighted on this mix. Um, and it is a very sort of foreboding moment, but it's not like, you know, it's not like an aggressive drop. It's not like all of a sudden someone like hits a crash symbol and then the tremolo starts, right? It's, it's a, uh, it sort of starts to, it slips into the picture, the ghost ship, and it it hangs out there, in dominating the middle of the song, and then it sort of, or dominating the middle of that section, and then at the end, it kind of slips away again, and that happens a few times over the course of the track, and so it's this sense of something that is both threatening and elusive, uh, and kind of has a ghostly and an ethereal presence, something that may or may not be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you get a ghost ship appears, ghost ship disappears, uh, and it's an apt choice for this record because the record has to do with, as they say, making music as wandering, right? So this is the cursed wandering ship. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> But yeah, what a, musically, what we should talk about, right? The heart of the track is Azoth's bass work. Um, yeah, I mean, he's I you know just to 
to put it out there, probably one of my favorite bass players in at least in metal. Mm-hmm. You know, I he's very very good at fitting the bass into the music in a way that matters. Absolutely, and coming in with like these contrapuntal melodies that do more than just oh, yeah. support the guitar. And here it has the lead. Uh, and this oh, yeah. is the funny thing is it's a really ornate line, but it is so it's so clearly articulated and has such a memorable form that I could just hum it instantly, right? Yeah. I don't think I even fucked that up at all, right? It's just very clear cut. Um and uh and so it, it's sort of, um, that's highlighted here, and it shows us in a very obvious way something that was always really important to Spike Extreme Wing, as you say. Like, you know, um, part of what um, Spike Extreme Wing, although they're, uh, pretty much every riff was epic and consonant, right? They often focused on especially broad inter broad noble intervals, right? They like their fifths, their minor sixths, their octaves, you know, mm-hmm. minor third, right? Just like just big crashing ascents and descents between these chords. Uh and of course a lot of that and nevertheless it never feels sugary or uh or budget epic or diffuse. It's always um it's always extremely violent and tense. Uh, and part of that is from the skill, uh, you know, uh, Argento's skill in the guitar lines and in the craftsmanship there. But part of it is also coming out of the, the, the bass work, um, which doesn't have as much melodic freedom as it does, say, in a track like this, but is providing, often is moving independently to add extra harmonic depth and also has this crazy percussive attack to it, like you get with the bass and discharge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, it it's a, um, yeah, definitely a, you know, hidden strength of Spidey Extreme Wing being showcased here. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important to note that, yeah, all of the members, all three of the core participants were, like, crucial to this recording. Right. Um, yeah. It's not just it's not just a guitar a guitar thing. Uh, um, we should also note that the bass sound here is quite different from Spike Extreme Wing, where that like is kind of produced like Discharge bass. This is uh, it has or more of the bulldozer sound you get in Motorhead or Venom. This has watery reverb, right? Yeah. Um, and that means it's goth bass. Uh, <laughs> Right, so this is like a that fits with the um, early Death in June stuff that I think is all over this record and meshes really well with the guitar, which has a lot to do with like Daedalus Rising or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, which is um, the Daedalus Rising, definitely an aquatic song. I Mm -hmm. think. I mean, you could say, you know, Daedalus Rising with the wings and stuff. Okay, but where'd they fall when they fell? Hmm exactly get sucked down into the ocean after flying too far to the sun somebody made an infinite mix of that combined with a different uh death in june track right i think this is not paradise or uh um called paradise rising it's like 30 minutes long and it sounds (laughs) it almost sounds the same as this poseidon record 
um uh and and um has has gull sounds on it um but yeah the 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 notes say that this was influenced by current 93 but i, I i'm pretty sure we agree this has more to do with d6 yeah i mean maybe well because here, here's the thing it sounds a lot like like late 80s mm-hmm. current 93 but late 80s current 93 had a lot of douglas pierce in it <laughs> yes yes and yeah, so yeah. and like they were all playing on each other's records mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so y- and, yes and no and i think the more aggressive the more intense sampling stuff is yeah. is a lot more like um I mean, I suppose there was that in the very early harsh industrial C ninety three. Yeah, but I mean, this the the more sampley stuff would have more in common with like Wallace Sacrifice or the World mm-hmm. That Summer rather than yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know the the swastikas for Naughty, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you know, once again, yeah, sure, you could say swastikas for Naughty kind of sounds like it too, but Douglas Pierce was on that record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, so let's, let's go to, uh, Opalescence 101 now. I think, um, we've talked, so we've showcased, you know, I mean, oh yeah, we can also notice, yeah, I had some different notes about how the, you know, how that track has been changed from 8 on Ultra, but I think we've, you know, talked enough about that, so... Yeah, I mean, um, people can figure it out. They yeah. can go listen. They, I mean, they should have already listened to Ultra. I don't know what's wrong with them if they haven't. <laughs> yeah, maybe this will be the episode that makes them finally do it. Um, yeah, what what you're gonna do is you're gonna acquire the record in some way, and you're gonna have a way to play it in your car, and you're gonna go for a <laughs> summer drive with all the windows down while you listen to Ultra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what you're gonna do. It's uh. The number one way to meet babes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So par- let's see. So let's let's talk now. I, we're going to go to a different sample. Um, and use that to get into what are some of the problems and maybe uh, sort of the, sort of some of the problems with work in this format and things that uh the the weaker sides of the record. Um. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to this sample that comes from the same, the first three tracks plus the Flying Dutchman are really the core of the record. And those first three tracks all come from one clearly very inspired session and they all go together really well, right? Afro sets up Cave of the Nymphs, sets up Metamorphosis, and that kind of moment of dissolution has a, there's a kind of, there's a, formal a narrative reason why it has to carry over into like the more muted mood of the flying dutchman but after that the energy seems to diffuse a little bit things become a little scattered and it's not clear why things are happening in the places they're happening um and we get to opalescence 101 track six and weirdly that comes from the one really good session that's the core of this record but it's quite an outlier, and while a kind of cool track in itself, it's, it's, um, you'll hear the difference.
prison. Right? So this is uh what this track really sounds like is Krautrock, right? Kind of like a, a groove by like I think like Noi. I don't know that stuff very well, but it reminds me of Noi. You know, can. Mhm. I I'd, I'd say, you know, it a little more laid back, not mm-hmm. as up tempo, but similar to um, yeah. oh, what's the can record? And actually, it's interesting. I think of this because that can record has like a trident on the cover. Mm. Uh, Future days. Mm. Really, uh, an especially stoned Hawkwind, maybe. Um, yeah. So I mean, I even I even hear. Like I said, I, I mentioned you before, maybe even some like that early, like stoner rock stuff, like like Kius or very yeah. early Queens of the Stone Age. No, it for with... sure could be Kius or Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. yeah. And so, what do you make of it? Because in some sense, this is like the groove is chill. I really like that. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. That sort of more '80s toned. Uh, Kind of, it's like an '80s analog sound. Yeah, the the mm. the envelope on it is definitely like it. It it it's very much shaped up to have that okay. slow attack. The it's almost like so. Gary Newman futuristic. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the sound um, palette here is pretty different. Yes, and and like once again, yeah, they were jamming. They were probably just like. You know, ooh, maybe this will sound cool. And, like, it's, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's... You know, and, and I, yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, a lot of, like, it, but that makes it fit in with industrial music. Because so many records by industrial neo-folk artists, you know, they're not, they're not songs records. They're usually the, they're album albums. So there's going to be weird little, uh, bits and pieces. It's more of a roller coaster of, uh, of engagement. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I think that's also like, so it's true to form, but it might be too true to form. Yeah, like, as in we have the benefit of hindsight now when engaging with that '80s stuff, and one of the built-in weaknesses is that the records can be a little scattered and eclectic, and there's because people were throwing all sorts of shit against the wall to see yeah. what works. There just are sometimes bad tracks. Yeah, this I mean, it's like, oh, god, this isn't like a. I don't dislike listening to this. I think it might belong well on a record of stuff that sounded like this, but um, it is a pretty complacent groove, right, that they sort of sink into. They shift between these two parts. The highest energy is that there are occasionally these nice shouts in the background when they change a part, which is cool. I like that. (laughs) But, like, it's... It's a little too much like sitting in on your buddy's jam session without the fun parts like the beer and that it's really loud. Um, yeah, like it's it's a little too chilled out compared to the strong points yes. of this record. Yes. And it's not you know? just that the mood is more tranquil or relaxed. It's that it lacks the... It lacks... There's something tranquil about, I don't know, some of the other tracks, but it's that it lacks the 
compositional focus. This it, was not... yeah, it lacks a certain uh, like a certain attack, a certain conviction. Yes, there's just less intensity of work in this. They have mm-hmm. not they have not cut and pasted their best riffs from different at parts of the jam to they haven't they haven't combined concentrated forces here this pretty much i'm guessing this one sounds i'm guessing this was a one and done right yeah maybe they had the riff the synth riff or something first but this sounds like they pretty much just recorded it straight through um and also because it has that locked in psych groove structure it lacks the kind of um environmental ambient openness that you get with the industrial stuff so it's actually a really rigid simplified rock form mm-hmm. right riff a riff sort of b switch back um yeah and you know there's a track before this that's more violent and industrial that's kind of cool and there's a track after this asa turno that's uh, has some something to do with the melody here that's more oceanic and blissed out and is kind of cool. But altogether, these three last tracks are kind of less than the sum of their parts. Um, and so I think, I wonder, and that leads back to like how they've presented the record. I think it, it's left in kind of an odd, I think we're both really glad that this record is here, first of all. It's great to just hear from this configuration of musicians again. Um, yeah, I, I have I I figured they were just kind of gone from the world mm-hmm. of music. Yeah, and I've there've been some uh, Argento has done some Italian interviews lately and things like that and I get the mm-hmm. sense that they are thinking about their legacy and that perhaps this is paving the way for a return. But um Oof. God, yeah, I hope so. At least in some form, maybe not as SEW. Um, hey, anything. Man. Anything, right? But this is... Um, what what they did with this release is because it was their first statement, these are the kinds of guys who do anything they do with real intensity, right? And so in this case, it was just like, okay, we've got these old tracks. We've wanted to get them released for a long time. There's definitely something cool here. Uh, um, but we also haven't done anything in a long time. So let's make this a big a big record right so it's i ordered the hard copy before i even heard it right and it's beautiful it's this multimedia thing it has postcards with alfred cuban illustrations in full color it has you know uh, amazing photography on it it has a booklet that's kind of a um call and response thing prompting you to make your own to write your own exploratory uh structured improvisation of writing to go along with listening to the record so it's a they've they've complete they've made a very complete package as you know they have this always have this Gesamtkunstwerk ambition but it's wrapped around a recording that is somewhat slight right and in some ways i'd rather have this than just the handful of tracks but I also wonder if the statement would be more effective simply as an EP with a lot of really good, with also with this w- wonderful hard copy edition and fleshing out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, 
It probably, yeah, no, I think maybe you could throw on, like, track one, two, and three, and track one through four, mm-hmm. and then, like, one of the tracks huh. from the back half. Do track one through four, and then Asa Turno, right? Yeah. I think that'd be pretty strong. Either way, um, it's just great to have uh, this configure of configuration back in action and um uh you know uh working to pass their legacy on to the next generation and we are excited to hear what's next there yeah is some... i mean you know no pun intended but i hope it makes waves <laughs> god i could kill you Keep the 
from debating the merits of various Warhammer tabletop games to review Crooked Mouth, Between the Fool and the Magician, out now on Aetheric Recordings uh, on LP and Bandcamp, so that's their own independent release, and 
Heimat Music on CD, and that's a boutique label run by the guy from the sort of folkloric black metal-ish band uh, Mosaic. So, um, Kruken, where Poseidon was kind of, um, you know, uh, protean and shifting and hard to define, uh, Crooked Mouth is a lot more like a, down the line, you could just say, this is a neo-folk project. Um, and in the mode of the classic big three neo-folk bands, this is a solo songwriter working with a semi-stable cast of collaborators. So this, this band really is just um, Ian Campbell, uh, who's a formerly of the Victoria British Columbia band Harrow. Uh, with sort of a, a Cascadian-ish black metal band, uh, nature black metal, where he, he played briefly with Kyle Brickle, uh, now guitarist of Terminus uh, Favorites, Anahata. Um, so, yeah. There's some, uh, there's some ancient, uh, ancient <coughs> roots here that are interesting. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... So he's got, so, so Ian has a Terminus connection um, and some history playing metal, but this is very much not a metal release. Um, and this is another one that is a, a big on-concept record and has a long and well-written press release that is actually worth reading something from. Uh, so, um, in January 2022, Crooked Mouth upended his life and moved across the globe to Lithuania. This was a culminating step in a long search for creative freedom and a love affair with the Baltic world that started years before. Campbell took with him a collection of unfinished songs intended for his next release, and with the help of a cast of artists met during his travels, he has finally brought it to full manifestation. Uh, and, um, let's see, what else? Uh, it has a He's joined on this journey by a cast of international weird folk characters. Uh, and so, yeah, we could... There's a number of those collaborators, but the foremost include his fellow expat, uh, an English expat, Adam Orms, which is a cool, very neo-folk name. Uh, yeah. I think he's in the, the band picture with him. Uh, and a number of Lithuanian musicians uh, in doing traditional folk stuff with names that will be difficult to pronounce, like Agota Zdana Vichute and Virginia Pievos. Uh, and, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, that was a tricky one. Um, and I don't know if I got it. Uh, well, so, close enough. yeah. So this is a record that really gets its impetus from and kind of documents a mystic quest, right? Um, right. On the show, we've reviewed um, a number of contemporary American black metal-ish bands, right, that we call, often we call them outlaw rock or whatever. Uh, and, you know, trying to figure out how to transplant European tradition to North American soil and to do it in a way that isn't just, uh, in in a way that genuinely respects and draws from this new landscape with its own history, right? Uh, in a way that respects the new soil. How, how, do you, how do you carry this over into America rather than just trying to make uh, 
you know, European black metal in the U.S., right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, so a good example of that would be like Elegiac or Mortem or something. Um, but Crooked Mouth is kind of moving in the opposite direction, right? He, uh, right? Campbell seems to have felt so alienated and adrift in Canada, right? Even in the beautiful nature around Victoria, that he has repatriated to Europe. Uh, and I, I don't know if he comes from, it sounds, I doubt he comes from Lithuania, but he's gone to a place there he wants to go, right? So Vilnius, capital, Vilnius, capital of Lithuania. Um, and what's notable there is that the Baltic countries were the last readout of paganism. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the big European like internal crusades. Yes, um, in black metal, you occasionally see the motif of the pagan knight. Well, in the Baltic countries, it was real. That is, they made it into the mm-hmm. high Middle Ages castles and plate armor while still worshiping the old gods. And it took yes, and in one of the internal, yeah, you were saying uh, uh, intra-European crusade. Yeah, that was the Mm -hmm. big, that was like the Teutonic Knights. Mm -hmm. That was their big thing, was the Baltic states. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the Baltic paganism was finally stamped out, but not really. Yeah, they... Well, go on. No, yeah, that was like a big thing that they, you know, the, the leaders converted, but really... There was a lot of symbolic conversion and uh, politicking more than actual full religious conversion. The folkways persisted under the the veneer of Christianity. And so Mm. this is a place where... um, pagan revival was an, was almost less a revival than a resurgence uh, and you can go to the Baltic countries today and actually just participate in well-attended public rituals which is pretty cool mm-hmm. right um so in in some ways he's 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 gone to the neofolk happy place uh and that that is very cool and you know I'll come back to some of those themes a little bit later but um Musically, right? Uh, how does it sound, Hyper Shaman? Uh, you know, kind of halfway between Europe and America. Mm, mm-hmm. I I hear, of course, like a lot of classic Euro neo folk, like um, Death in June, of course. Uh, Forsetti, maybe just because of the accordion, maybe that's what's making me think Forsetti, but I'm thinking it anyways. Uh, stuff like of the Wand and the Moon for that more kind of modern, shinier neo-folk sound. But then also, um, like uh, an earthier, there's a lot of tracks that's that earthier kind of psych folk. Like, uh, specifically, it makes me think of Ngawan Ring. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who are an uh, American band. He's he's American, yeah. Yeah. So so you got that, that new world, and then you got some old world. Yeah, um, and it is a uh, sort of like, you know, what else could we say about it musically? Yeah, I mean, there's there's much more, uh, the mood is different. It is brighter and more spirited than a lot of the classic neo-folk, right? So, yeah, the, the, the stuff that lines up most with like Death in June, mm-hmm. De- Death in June already had 
almost a, a pop-ish streak here and there. Yeah. A, a, a sort of sensibility. But this stuff, it, it you know, once again, it, it almost feels like it's reaching back to some 60s, 70s uh, right. uh, sort of... Uh, I hesitate to use the word, but slight hippie-ish, and I don't mean that yeah. in a bad way. Yeah, well, he's bringing out the hippie-ish vibes that were sort of present a little bit in the 80s stuff. But um, Oh, yeah. You know, the death metal guy always complains that he would like neo-folk maybe if it were less dour, right? That the classic, <laughs> yeah. the classic bands is always very stern. The gestures that pop in Death in June are oh, he- my God. heavily or laced like, with yeah. bit- bitter irony. Um, or like Soul Invictus is just mm-hmm. like, yes. like Sturmundrang. Right, right. This it's just like this, oh. this old man is telling you to leave the pub. He's telling you to leave the pub now. He wants you to leave the entire village. Leave it. Um, <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah. This is so. Yeah, so there, there's something very stark and serious about it, which links to the you know to the roots in goth in like Joy Division and. In, oh, yeah. uh, in, in Joy Division and in industrial music and the overall sort of uh, militaristic undertone yeah, in that music. The, or the mo- in that music. Uh, the most percussive and miserable post-punk, yes. like and, closer, you right. know. And, and, and this is not... Oh, it's interesting that you say it closer. I always say it closer, but yeah, that's, that's, it's it got a good double meaning there. Um, the, uh, anyway, so yeah... Oh, I, I meant like the the Joy Division record. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. Oh, closer. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. See what they did there. Anyway, um, Crooked Mouth basically has almost none of that, right? It, it'll be influenced yeah. by the. You get some of the industrial collage aesthetic, but only in the sense that the songs open up into more trippy, jammy, psychedelic parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very nice summertime, summertime jams. Yeah, or you know, a, a ritualistic intensity or whatever. But the overall mood of the music, even when it's solemn, is uh, um, it's point. It's at least pointing towards joyousness, and it's often exuberant and bright. Uh, and um uh you know it has a it has a not in a bad way it has a lightness to it and so the only things that i can really compare that to in more recent stuff would be say like forsetti um like vinzite is a very uh upbeat yeah. record right um yeah well and, and i know some some modern of the wand and the moon stuff mm-hmm. is crisper a little more upbeat although nah uh, also, he fell off really hard. You know, he's just trying to be fucking like singer songwriter now. Mm. Um, I mean, shots fired, but uh, <laughs> um, like uh, there was no. I mean, the old stuff, right? Uh, did have very summer solstice was is like just a beautiful uh, sort of warm and loving song, but even even on that record, even on the perky stuff, there's usually um fangs just under the surface mm-hmm. uh, and this record is sort of much more focused on um transformation fertility growth and journeying than it is on uh you know um austere warrior values well, yeah um, it's it's journey and creation it's the mm-hmm. fool and the magician 
Yeah, and you were pointing out that those are. I I knew the fool was a tarot card, but I guess the magician is as well. You said. Yeah, they're the, the fool is number. Generally, the fool is the first in the major arcana, mm-hmm. and the magician is the second. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's listen to it, and then we'll talk more about uh, about what what about the the um the, the ideas here but this will give you a good sample of some of the baseline the ne- the most neo-folk classically neo-folk side of the record and the the mood which is uh, a little different from what you'd expect so we're just going to listen to the first few minutes of between the fool and the magician that's the title track and the first track hear that there's something distinctive about crooked mouth just in even those those two minutes you get especially in that last little build you hear right uh he starts going to the whoa and the there's like a contraction in the time in the music right the rhythm the rhythm tightens up and you get this sort of percussive the the faster strumming more syncopation uh dun 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 more pulsed and you get that circling swirling uh keyboard is i don't know if that's a mellotron but it's kind of like the poseidon the keys on the poseidon record uh let me what do you think uh it's uh or yeah no it was uh sorry i was um I was I was taking a listen at it again to hear mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I, I mean, 
Or is that is that one of the is that like a, a accordion or a harmonium I, or something? I, it's I think yeah. Okay, so that's why I was confused. I was listening back because I was kind of here if there was a keyboard. That that's an accordion of some sort. I don't that's know. some sort of squeezed instrument, I believe. No, I think you're right. Uh, it's 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 in the um, it's in the credits, right? Guitar and voice are ambitiously aided by instruments including accordion, harmonium, shrewdy box, melodium, conchless, jaw harp, even a birch vanta. A yeah, so I'd like the harmonium, melodium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe both of those are a yeah. different variants of squeezed mm-hmm. instrument. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no, a melody. Oh, okay. So, so there's melodians you can carry, and there's melodians you can sit at. Interesting to know. Sort of like a hurdy gurdy. Um, yeah. Very, and hopefully easier to tune. So yeah, the um, uh, this is so that's one thing worth pointing out is just like there's depth of depth of instrumentation is basically a part of neo folk, right? And it can go towards more of a neoclassical mm-hmm. chamber sound, um, or you know, a lot of voices in the mix. However, in this, there's not just a variety of voices. There's also cultural depth of instrumentation, as in, you know, uh, something we've pointed out about some of the classic neo-folk records is there isn't much actual folk music on them. Folk is more mm-hmm. like a method and a preoccupation, right? With Yeah, I mean, in, um, until you get to, like, uh, like when Michael Cashmore mm-hmm. starts working with Current 93. Yeah. Then, then it starts getting a little more like that chamber, chamber music, folky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, generally it was it was always much more uh, closer to industrial than folk yeah. music, acoustic, post punk, psych rock. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's some of the early, uh, the the early kind of um, uh, Sol Invictus has uh, you know mm. a folky cafe folk kind of sound to it, strummed acoustic, but you don't hear like finger picking or anything, right? Uh, no, it's so, almost always just right. just strumming chords. Right. So there's a healthy movement of actual folk technique back into neo folk, and you yeah. know, In Gowan Ring started that, um, uh, and um, this is. Uh, and so Crooked Mouth is definitely continuing that and doing it also with all of these musicians from Lithuania. So you can hear some of that, but also you can hear that like a lot of tracks in the genre work at a, sta- a fixed tempo uh, and with sort of fixed rhythmic ideas. There's mm-hmm. just a lot more expansion and contraction in this track, and there's a lot of um, uh, and and that surge of energy in the chorus or post-chorus is uh, kind of unusual. Um, yeah, this this album has a lot more contrast than than like classic neo folk. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of times classic neo folk, the biggest contrast you'd have, uh, even between individual songs, might be like, oh, here's you know, here's uh, you know, Death in June, and here's a weird little like noisy industrial thing in between two guitar songs. Right, right. But the track this has the contrast within the songs themselves yeah. even and and it's a little more like singer songwriter music but mm-hmm. not in a bad way right no uh, not at all yeah um it doesn't lose the distinct qualities of this of this genre um uh yeah also so we should also talk about i think one of the you know sort of like a a feature of the record that's going to be a sticking point for some people and it's maybe a limitation is 
how the vocals are delivered in moments like this. Right. So the vocals are, I think Campbell faced a, he faced two paths here. And I think the path he took is an interest is like, it's, it's a, um, yeah, he faced two paths here, right? One, if you have like a higher voice or whatever, right? Or a voice that sounds more like he, he's singing basically in a natural unaffected voice, right? Yes. He's not, um, if there's an affectation to it, it's one that's foreign to neo folk and makes it sound more like basically indie rock or pop punk, right? Yes. Um, and I think it might just be, this is his higher register. So he's doing it. And what that means is he's escaping a certain trap of this music, which is heavy affectation in the vocals. Like, I have to make my voice sound as deep and as dead as possible so I can yeah. sound like Doug P or, you know, uh, Ian Curtis. Um, yeah, the, the the certain, I mean, there's kind of a joke that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, of course, they, of course they can't sing. It's neo-folk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. or, yeah, 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 or like really... Or on the other hand, you get like really wispy, ethereal, fairy vocals, like in in Gallon Ring or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, or or you know, uh, David Tibet's spoken word, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, for breathy, sure. breathy, and yeah, like you said, fairy, highly almost. theatrical, contorted. Yes. Um, these are just like this is just a guy singing some songs. Uh, yeah. And I, there's, I like the honesty to that, and in a genre mm-hmm. like this that depends often on putting on, you know, it, it can either be a strength or a weakness, but, right, putting on certain fixed masks, that's that expressiveness is, is cool, but, you know, I can't say that I love the nasal tone on tracks like this. Yeah, it's, it's a specific nasal tone with a... <sighs> I, I don't know how to explain it, but definitely in in the realm of yeah, like the the kind of indie pop punk stuff. I mean, I I know in the notes I specifically said he he reminds me of one of the guys from They Might Be Giants, yeah. which yeah. like I don't know it, it not necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but like if I'm gonna listen to They Might Be Giants, mm-hmm. I'm listening to They Might Be Giants. If I'm listening to Neo Folk, I'm listening to Neo Folk. It right. it, it I, I think after listening to the record a few times, which I, I have, I enjoyed it enough that I, I listened to it maybe like three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, like it doesn't, it, it doesn't really bother me as much now. But at the very first listen, it was, mm-hmm. it was a bit jarring. It kind of took me out of it for. I was yeah. like, oh, that's that's different. And it's especially jarring if the focus is is on this kind of. Um re-immersion in the European aspects of the genre and yes, its historical it, precedent, right? It sounds For, very North American. Right. 1476 is a North, explicitly North American neo-folk that also has vocals like that, and I would say it's a sticking... I like. I think they're a cool band, but I don't really listen to them because the vocals sound like pop-punk. Oh, they're but kind of the... It, it at least yeah. makes sense in their context, right? Because they're trying to do sort of North American neo-folk. Um, yeah, and they, and they, they probably also kind of got were, a death rock. Oh. Yeah. Oh, they've got really cool record collections. Yeah, death rock, goth thing. Yeah. They, they clearly were just like emo hardcore dudes from New Jersey mm-hmm. or whatever, or from New England who started doing this. But um, so it, it kind of makes sense there. But this is, 
in the opposite direction. But yeah, I also agree. It's not like a huge deal. And part of that is because he takes different approaches. Um, yeah, it's he, only... Oh. Often he foregrounds other vocalists. And in many tracks, he delivers his vocals differently, uh, and which we'll get to on the samples. D he delivers them differently and mixes them differently in a way that make them a lot more effective. Uh, but I think on the most sort of bright, straightforward, strummy neo-folk tracks, this and maybe also the May Queen's Radiant Astral Light, which is at the end, these sort of bookend the record, they're the... Uh, those are the places where the vocals kind of pop in a way that might give people pause. But I think we really encourage listening through that because the core of the record is really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so let's, it, it's almost like there's a, um, it, yeah, they, there are these more sort of, there are these tracks at the beginning and end that almost seem like maybe those were more finished when he went to Lithuania. And then there are, yeah. then there are the tracks in the middle have all been worked and expanded and, uh, distorted in various really cool ways. Uh, um, the, uh, the album structure moves kind of like into and out of sleep. Uh, and, so there's a plot to it. If if Poseidon had something to do with questing through the Mediterranean, this is, uh, well, it has a lot to do with the existential quest at the at the heart of the lyrics and at the heart of this record. Um, which maybe I'll go back to at the end because I want to get us more into the samples. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, this is here. The quest is figured as passage into sleep deeper and deeper into dream and then back out into daylight transformed so track two is repine and soporific fields literally about going to sleep track three is guardian of the threshold which is uh you know which is about uh the entry into deep dream and a sort of a confrontation with a voice beyond the self and let's go to that one and um we will you can you can hear the you can hear the huge shift in uh everything about it um this is one of the most industrial tracks and it's featuring vocals by the guy from the german project uh, art abscons mm -hmm. um it's also got some really beautiful uh lithuanian harp playing i think you said so yeah it it it, it looks like a, a sort of zither so mm -hmm. it's you're going to have some sort of frame yeah. within the strings. I mean, technically, a hammered dulcimer is a zither. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, calling it a dulcimer is not that far off. Oh, yeah, I called it a dulcimer in the notes. It's, it's, it, I think it's what's called the conclus, uh, and it, it... Oh, that you cannot search that word. Oh, wow. Yeah, all you'll get is cankles. Um, yeah. But, oh, here we go. Conclus instrument. Yeah, yeah it reminds me of... Uh, well, I said no. I have a I have a hillbilly uncle who can play the auto harp, and it looks like that. Well, that's very cool. Yeah, the name sounds a little bit like Contella <laughs> from Finland, so I thought maybe. Yeah, it it's not. Yeah, no, it's not that far off yeah. from that. So, it's it's in the harp-ish family. Yeah. Basically, it's a long sample because I want to showcase not just the very cool uh, delivery of the vocal of the lyrics, 
but um, the uh, lovely Conklas plane. Mm-hmm. some drone right i love the drone laid down under that and the um the kind of the the pulsed stuff uh, plucking of the harp uh is um uh i don't know it works a little bit like the driving pulse in that um poseidon song we both really liked um and uh the real focus here is the um the vocals and and the lyrics uh, 
this is this has the kind of um meditative space that you get on some of the classic 80s records i uh, think especially of like um like how to destroy angels by coil asks you to just meditate on each symbol crash this draws a similar attention to the words um and this and is about what oh i was saying that the subject matter but I, I think you were about to talk about it anyways go oh yeah i just say it's you know this album obviously he was going through maybe a certain crisis of self-discovery that drove him to go to lithuania it's you know what who do you what do you want to be who do you want to be it's very much uh reflective yeah yeah they they this is a moment of being of being sort of uh yeah, how do we insert this into the broader plot? Let's let's go to the broader stuff I wanted to talk about on the last sample. Mm-hmm. So, if you go to the lyrics for the the, the last the title track, um, right, you get uh, children tucked in for the night, taught by fools who fear the light, uh, the floating thoughts of craven churls floating like the laughter of children, tyrants trapped in inner worlds plotting nightmares to unfurl, the feeling of being mocked by a jester asking are you not free can you not you know uh mm-hmm. why can't you free yourself from this situation or or maybe isn't this freedom haha ha. um and you get uh you know i mean tyrants trapped in inner worlds plotting nightmares to unfurl is a particularly good couplet i think and evokes the feeling of a time when uh, people who were very comfortable living imprisoned in front of screens attempted to lock down the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. <laughs> so, and and also the idea that there's an uh, in technocratic attempts to control the world, there's often they're driven by an intense introversion and neurosis, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but also the feeling maybe that one is oneself trapped in an inner world and is uh, unable to break out of it in these conditions, right? Uh, the feeling that the jester is mocking him, right? Um, and I, I feel like this kind of... Um, it really puts us in the situation uh, of being isolated, alienated, adrift in modernity. Um and it, it it sort of it shows Campbell interacting with the old neo folk bands, right? Those bands all had these larger than life figures, right? Who were within the modern world and sort of adapting to it, using its technologies, and yet who spoke to us from outside it, right? And somehow in the sea of shit, they stood with their heads high, and they were clearly oriented towards enduring things right uh and they maybe sometimes heavy 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 handedly pointed us towards their own models right people like evola or mishima or younger yeah and all those guys right everyone who was talked about on heathen harvest in 2010 um all those guys basically wrote how-to guides right um you know how do you do this uh how do you be in but not of in that way but trying to actually do that 
on your own when you're adrift in the midst of this slippery yet stifling age, right? That's another thing. Uh, and it takes years, maybe your whole life, and it's messy, silly, ugly, and you often find yourself wondering, right? <laughs> Am I the magician or the fool? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and the record tracks that process, which he, you know, for him clearly involved this this spiritual journey that corresponded to a geographic journey to Lithuania. Um, it tracks that process, and he's sort of showing his work. <laughs> he's like, here I go, fully committing to it, and with the kind of humility. So in this track, right, it's a prophetic contact with a god, with a god in a dream, and the god is, and he feels humiliated before it, right? Just utterly overawed and ashamed of himself and his life. And, it, you know, this, this crisis moment. And in that crisis moment, he is challenged to become something more and chart his own path. And, you know, what does it mean to be truly free? Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's just, it's very powerful and it is a different approach to a kind of fixed trope of the genre that I think is like a lot of this record it is more expressive it's more opening up and inviting in uh and i think a lot of people will find that compelling and also consoling yeah this is a comforting me you know <laughs> i i i've often listened to a lot of neo-folk uh as non-comforting music mm -hmm. uh at, at bad times Mm -hmm. uh, I was probably deepest in my obsession of neo-folk and martial industrial in some of the worst parts of my life. Um, <laughs> but then we have this neo-folk here that's like, it's very hopeful. Yeah. No, it's, I... it's yeah, it's not, it's not talking about a lot, a lot of neo-folk talks about, goes into this, this crisis of modernity and, you know how do you how do you live the the, the west is dead death mm -hmm. of the west you know and and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have direction to it it's just sort of uh you know ruminating on it well, ruminating some... on the fact that the west is dead where well, this guy is like very hopeful yeah i think it's you know you have to be able to a full life is more than just the constant feeling of preparing for battle, right? <laughs> um, and you know, with a lot of that stuff, like the um, the Tony Wakeford stuff, especially, right? It's oh my god, it oscillates between just the resolve of the hero going to his death and just like complete pessimism, right? Uh, yeah, and 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 yeah. So this is this is a record that wants to. How do you? If you're trying to live a life being trapped in that kind of uh, apocalyptic mentality uh, can make a life completely unlivable, right? And this is a guy who's interested in freeing himself, not just from the world around him, but also from modes of opposition that aren't always productive psychologically, right? Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, how do, how do you live as a joyful, well-rounded person who is in touch with the world around you and the people around you? Uh, and so that that is 
that that's pretty cool. Um, the uh, yeah. So let's speaking of which, let's listen talk about one of the most Im- embracing tracks on the record, which is uh, which you, was one of your picks. Yeah, probably. I, as I said, one of my favorite songs on this record. Um, very dreamy but also like a summertime walk mm-hmm. almost sort of a certain peaceful loveliness uh and um a little a little a little neo-medieval in places but yeah this is arms of the mountain Is there an ending to love? Is there an ending to love? There is an you know seems like a song about uh, death to some degree you know is there an end to love there is an end is there an end to love there is no end you know followed by when the arms of the mountain take you home i mean it's uh 
you know, I guess a somewhat morbid subject matter in some sort of death, whether physical or spiritual, but it's comfort, you know. The arms of the mountain will take you home. Like, I don't know. That doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> I, I feel like I listened to it almost as... I felt I took it more literally as going up into the mountains. Maybe, maybe after, mm. you know, after the end of some love or something but uh returning to the uh oh. you know returning to the center of things um yeah i, I think even that's, if yeah i think that's oh, always I, what oh i was just saying even you know yeah it's yes there's an end but there are no endings you can always return exactly yes it's it's a very life-affirming track and i mean in some ways the yeah, that notion of uh, rerouting in nature and uh, and in a consciousness of time in the longest sense of uh, you know uh, of a cyclic unfolding and loop time looping on itself uh, and 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 building through repetition. That's uh, that's been very important to all the neofolk stuff. Um, it's a uh, it, this is this is the kind of on this track this is the kind of high intensity solace that was in death in june songs mm -hmm. or in current 93 songs uh even in the you know late 80s early 90s um and also the cool thing is that from there right we're at you know two-thirds of the way through the track it only opens up more and so this is a place where like you get some of the folky singing but it's a lot more repetitive and you get this undertone of drone and an evolving jam and the last two last third of the song is just like a dance you know yeah and that's where i kind of i heard a lot of that sort of neo-medieval folkish mm -hmm. stuff a lot mm -hmm. like um as i wrote in the notes reminded me of some of the stuff from the revolutionary army of the infant jesus mm. uh, it's a mouthful but a good a good english act mm -hmm. um definitely kind of a more uh, despite the name pagan sounding english neo-folk interesting I'll, I'll have to check that out yeah so Maybe does it have kind of more like chant-like or prayer-like lyrics? Because this yes. feels also like a prayer and a dance. Yes, there, there's, there is definitely a certain chanting processional mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. to to yeah. some of their stuff, which you get yeah. here also. You, you could imagine this being sung around a campfire and people dancing <laughs> around the campfire, which is a cliche yeah. fucking image that gets employed a lot in this music, but like like you, you did you but like actually yeah um and we got your last uh we got your last sample yeah this one's just another i i guess and i quotations on purpose quote unquote poppier and poppier in relative terms you know compared to some of the more wandering uh wide songs mm -hmm. Um, this is uh, Black Madonna at the Gates of Dawn, which uh, seems more standard neo-folk at first, but there's some interesting stuff in there that uh, kind of brings me back to uh, the certain link to maybe 
uh, North American or, well, no, I guess even European 60s, 70s stuff, maybe even a weird connection to the Poseidon record in that way. So uh, let's take a listen to this one. definitely peep that not rose mcdowell uh <laughs> ghostly fairy vocals in the background that's uh uh probably direct reference to some of that old stuff uh and then also more blatantly the uh almost carlos santana-esque psych guitar jam going on and that kind of just keeps going for the rest of that song if i remember correctly which is different, but kind of cool, and it works. Uh, and kind of adds a certain, uh, once again, almost like the Poseidon album, certain 60s, 70s sort of feel. Um, once again, back to the almost hippie, once again, not no offense meant by this, because oh. usually when I use this word, it is meant to be offensive, but sort of hippie feeling to it. Even with the 
yeah, that that sort of um, almost uh, ir- ir- irreverent protest lyrics of "Hey, hey, do mm-hmm. what they say." Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, you're fading away. You know, life isn't sickness, and your blood is your witness. You know, uh, sort of a, a a a feralness with those last lines, but the the shouting of "Hey, hey," mm-hmm. like that's. Yeah. That's straight so, out of like uh you know some like Woodstock almost. Dark side, <laughs> dark side hippie, Abraxas. Yeah, much better than regular hippies. I'll, I'll admit. Mm-hmm. 